Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. episode of the Manchester Red podcast from the Manchester Union News. I'm today's host, George Smith, and I'm joined, as always, by our chief Manchester United writer, Samuel Upkirst, and fellow United writer, Rich Fay. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Not bad. Not bad. Thank you, George. Good to have you presenting as well today. It's a change of tap for you. Yeah, yeah thank you. that was light at the end of the tunnel, isn't there? We can finally see pre-season on the horizon next week. We've got the tour coming up as well. Transfers maybe getting a bit closer, and I think United fans are just maybe sick to death of the transfer window already. They're just the impatience is growing, isn't it? But yeah, great to be with you, George. Oh, thank you, and it, it certainly is uh, seemingly like patience are beginning to wear, wear a little bit thin, even though we're only two weeks into the window. It seems like it's been open a lot longer than that. But Samuel Frankie Dion, you've written about him on Thursday in the fact that they are preparing a new bid. Uh, can you bring us up to speed with that and what's the latest? Well, the, the, in terms of the time frame, I think they'd like to get De Jong done before the end of the month. Um, I mean, I'm always quite reluctant to get into time frames because it's, it's it's an absolute minefield when you do that. But just for obvious reasons, they there is this risk that they could go the entirety of June without signing a player. They've been working on a De Jong deal for well over a month now. Uh, Ten Hag has, has played his part in, in pretty much reassuring De Jong um, and, and assuaging his concerns. I mean, there are innumerable concerns about joining Manchester United as a 25-year-old regular Dutch international who's also playing regularly for Barcelona. But it is a deal that is doable. But United feel as though that if, if they just immediately yielded to Barcelona's um, initial demand, uh, their, their initial asking price, that would have limited their capacity to strengthen other areas of the squad, which gives an indication as to how that they work in terms of a budget. In that, okay, there there is there is a you know there is substantial money there, but maybe not the it's not the bottomless pit that a lot of fans on on Twitter or social media might think that they have. And ultimately, what I was told was that United needed to up the the fee by about 10 to, to 15 million. I'm not sure if it's pounds or euros. I, you know, this is another grey area that we have with, with transfers these days. It's the way that, um, that, that they're communicating. I mean, United, in, in recent years, they've actually communicated fees in euros because the majority of clubs they're dealing with, of course, they're fees come out in euros because they're clubs on the continent but again at the moment that they are they are short of what Barcelona want for De Jong but they feel as though they're having to negotiate hard but fair um a hard but fair fee for him because one he's he's clearly available because Barcelona want to sell him so Barcelona's own you know, what what they can command for De Jong, it's it's immediately limited because he's a player that they are they're prepared to sell. They have their financial issues as well, so 
there's there's an element of of not desperation, but it's probably a level just before that. And United don't want to blow their budget on on one player. So the, the initial talk of I think there are a lot of reports in Spain about eighty five million pounds, which is around hundred million euros, and Barcelona were never ever going to get that. Um, De Jong has been there for three years. He's he's done reasonably well. He's not exactly set the world alight. Barcelona have been a fading force. It's been uh, a pretty a pretty torrid time for them and a pretty fraught period as well. Kuman, of course, went last season. Uh, Juan Laporta has come back in. It's it's been a pretty you know crisis ravaged time for them as as a football club and um, and, and and beyond that as well. So you know, Diong's asking price. I think it's it's fair for Barcelona to say that they don't want to make a loss on a player who, as I said, is is twenty five and a regular for them and the Dutch national side and, and his contract is, I mean, his contract goes until 2026. There's a lot of time left on that, but there will have to be a compromise sooner or later from, from both sides. But I think United at the moment are so far down the line there that if, if that deal was not to happen, it would be a disaster. I mean, United are trying to, I think there are almost certain things that are, that are coming out that are for their benefit, almost to kind of like, test the waters with Barcelona in a way or, or unnerve Barcelona in that United insist that they have got fallback targets which I don't I don't doubt they do have uh, because it would be remiss of them not to do that and they that's a policy that they've um, gone by in the past but and, and they say that those targets uh, are not as uh, they, they don't have the valuation that De Jong does they say that those targets valuations lower than De Jong's but Ten Hag is just desperate to have De Jong and United want to back him and by trying to sign a player who understandably if they did get him would be presented as a coup so it's it's because it's been um, it's been written about for well over a month I think it's it's at the point now where everyone's becoming a bit not a bit, just just very tired of it. It's 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 another inordinate process in, in trying to sign sign a player who, again, gut instincts is that he he will eventually end up at United. But again, if if he didn't, I wouldn't be surprised. And unfortunately for United, they're at the point really that if if they do go the whole of June without signing a player, I think open season will be declared on them again. Yeah, and I was I was going to mention there. I think with the way this is beginning to pan out in the length this has rumbled on for Rich, there seems to be a, a bit of a hunch developing that you do feel United will get this done whenever it may be. Do you think it's almost a case they've looked at De Jong and thought he is the one that we have got to build this new look midfield around? And if if they don't manage to get this done, how quickly and how transparent can they find someone else that can do a job similar to him? Yeah, I mean, like Samuel said there, it almost feels like United are being played at their own game by Barcelona here because when United try and sell a player, they do the tricks that Barcelona are doing, saying, well, this is what we paid for him. He's a Dutch international. He's got all this pedigree. That's what United do. That's the problem United have when they're shifting players themselves. They give it this big spiel when they're trying to sell a player and try and tick all these boxes saying, this is what you're getting. And now United have to deal with that themselves because Barcelona are as savvy as United are when it comes to trying to sell players. You know, they want to protect that value. They don't want to take the loss. And yeah, their financial sort of situation has been eased a little bit by you know that socio vote earlier in the month to, you know, free up some funds immediately. But they still need to to get rid of some high earning players. And as Samuel said, De Jong is someone who is expendable really to to that. The other problem for United is that this summer. It's not only the summer of change for them, but it's the summer in which United are trying to establish themselves 
in the market as a team and a club who have changed as well. They they want to try and have this new identity as someone who doesn't just buy your cast offs for an absurd amount and you know they're you know just a go to club to link players with. They want to try and get a bit of authority back in the market. So United are trying to be stubborn themselves. Barcelona are being stubborn as well. Someone has to you know make a compromise. Both teams. Both clubs probably ideally need to make a compromise to meet in the middle as well. I think there's a way where it can be a good deal for both clubs. And like you said, in terms of him being the, the sort of top target for Ten Hag, you know, Ten Hag's made it clear that, that is his preferred midfield addition this summer. And you know, you can talk about other candidates still being you know spoken to. Club sources will say that you know that they're keeping their options open. But who else is really out there that can offer what Frankie Dion can do? I think in terms of what he adds in a playing sort of way is just maybe unrivaled with what else United could get this summer and also what it signifies I mean United acted with bravado didn't they six years ago when they tried to sign Paul Pogba and they did when they had missed out on Champions League qualification and being able to sign Frankie de Jong when you've missed out on Champions League football again you've had an, a dreadful season would be a real statement of, of intent for United going forward as well so although there is all, always going to be talk of fallback options and any club would be wise to have them I, I do, like Samuel said, think it's just a matter of time, really, that this deal will take place. Ideally, that does occur before, you know, the preseason tour. If not, then maybe the Australia leg of it. I think that the Liverpool game in Bangkok, you know, that is interesting enough just as Ten Hag's first outing as United manager that you don't really need to be parading a new player as well. So I, I do think the deal will take place at some stage. United might have to pay a bit more than they want to at the moment, but like Samuel says, well, I do think it will happen. Um, things can happen quickly as well. United have said that, you know, things could accelerate once a, a deal's agreed between the two clubs and actually getting De Jong sort of terms and stuff agreed won't be too difficult. But it's just a case of United or Barcelona budging. And at this moment in time, it remains to be seen which one of those things will actually happen. Indeed, obviously, it's been slow with players coming in and it's also been pretty slow with players going out as well. No um, permanent departures or loans except for the re- those on the retained list as of yet. But Dean Henderson looks like he's going to be the first one out the door this summer. Um, Nottingham Forest are very close, it seems, to signing him on loan for the duration of the season. Samuel, you've um, published a piece this morning about that. Um, it seems like it's pretty much on the brink of going through. Yeah, he's he's on honeymoon at the moment. He, he got married earlier this month and I think he's in, in, in the Maldives, which is obviously pretty lovely. And I don't think you, you, you'd you want to end that short, even if it did mean getting back to, to sign for for a new club. But he's, he's due back in England next week because that's the date when United's non-internationals come back. So I think all that's required really for him now is is to undergo a medical and, and sign the forms and then Forrest can... Can parade him. Um, it was it was interesting how it you know it, it developed in the end because he he was very much looking forward and, and hoping to to join Newcastle last month. He he went up to Newcastle. I think the final week of the season. Um, Newcastle had spoken with United and they, they discussed a possible loan swap involving Carl Darlow, having held talks with them in January about a possible loan swap with, with involving Martin Dubravka, but Dubravka didn't want to go to United because it meant not getting regular football. In the end, um, when, when Newcastle did ha- hold those very encouraging talks with, with Henderson in 
uh, in May and to, to the point that from Henderson's side, they were hopeful of actually getting something done before the end of the month, which would have been you know quite quite swift. Uh, at that time, Burnley hadn't been relegated uh, because the final game, I think it was the it was just before the final day of the season. And of course, as soon as Burnley got relegated, uh, they were vulnerable, which is why Nick Pope has gone for £10 million when maybe in previous years, had they decided to sell him at certain points, they'd have got probably double that fee, maybe even a little bit more. And also with Pope, the bonus is um, is that he's not just um, a long-term goalkeeper, he's a permanent signing. If, if Newcastle had got Henderson, it would have been, you know, it would have done the job for a season, but maybe not beyond then. The, the power is still very much with United there and that his contract runs until a maximum of 2026. So that whole goalkeeping situation, that dynamic, which has been a recurring debate at United for the last three years at the very least, is probably going to go into a, a fourth year as well. And there's, an, there's a sense that maybe De Gea is on trial in this first season under Ten Hag because although he had an, an excellent season and improved and, and impressed enough for him to have this privilege of starting, I think I think this is going to be the 11th season out of the last 12 that he started for United, the, the anomaly being 2015 when Van Gaal took him out of the team because he, he wanted to join Real Madrid. and was and, but, but, but for a fax machine, he would have probably joined Real Madrid as well. But although he has, you know, as I said, he, he had an excellent season, Figuratively, he has stood still. Um, his distribution is limited. Uh, he, he's he's rooted to his line too often. When you compare him with the other elite goalkeepers, the, the more successful goalkeepers in recent years, there are glaring differences. I, I still maintain if if an exocet was fired at goal, De Gea is probably the only keeper I'd actually bet on keeping it out or, or at least halting it. But the goalkeeping position has has evolved a hell of a lot, it feels like, in the last five years. And that period has coincided with, as I said, De Gea figuratively standing still. He's he's still possibly been the best goalkeeper in, in world football over the last decade. But it's, it gives Ten Hag a year to have a look at him. It gives him, you know, the, the privilege really of having two two United goalkeepers playing regularly in the Premier League. And OK, Henderson will be operating at, a far low level again. It, there is an element of Henderson having to to regress and take a, a step backwards to go forward again, in that he's going to be playing for a promoted club in the Premier League, which was the situation he was in three years ago when he, you know, he, he arranged for that second loan with Sheffield United, so he was able to play in the Premier League. But if he impresses enough, it's it's an opportunity for Ten Hag to think, well, do, is he my number one next year? And next year is where they have to make a definitive decision on the goalkeeping situation because De Gea, his, his contract, that, that plus one option will be triggered. Then they're, they're not going to release him next year, United. But when it comes to the summer of 2022, he will have one year left in his contract if he's in that situation. And they have to decide, do we give this this guy a new long-term contract that's going to take him into his mid-30s, possibly his late 30s? Or do we go with the, the 26-year-old who we could get a, you know, a decade's worth of first-team football out of? It might not work out that that simply. It might not be that black and white. But next year, they can't they can't park that, that decision any longer. Um, it, it'll have It'll have been too long. It'll have been four years without them making a definitive call on it. And there is the mitigation behind that as well. What with 
Henderson contracting COVID in pre-season last year when it, you know, Solskjaer had told him that he was going to start the season. And then he was there was an element of mismanagement, but United didn't get didn't progress far enough in the cups for him to play more games as it was, uh, or, or than than he would have liked. But ultimately, that that dynamic has been able to um, prolong for far too long. And again, unfortunately for United, it's another legacy of of Solskjaer's soft management. And, and Henderson was certainly not uh, the only player who's who sold a pup. So therefore, then, with obviously the contractual situation of De Gea next summer, this could be a, a big audition season for Dean Henderson should his move to Forest go through. And Rich, we saw last season, obviously, James Garner flourished at Nottingham Forest, albeit at a lower level. But Steve Cooper, the Forest managers, had some really talented, kind of young England players. Obviously, Dean Henderson's not that really young age anymore, but he's still up and coming and got his best years ahead of him. Seeing with Mark Gway at Swansea and Conor Gallagher as well. Do you think going to someone like Steve Cooper, who's got the ability to develop talent, is the perfect move for him? Uh, I mean, he's he's from Wrexham, so of course he's the perfect man for him. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's he's he's a, he's the type of manager you want a young player like him to be playing under because Steve Cooper's got a point to prove as well next season. You know, he's had a lot of credit for what he did at Forest. It was utterly remarkable what he did to get you know them into the Premier League, and now he's got to prove that he's good enough to be there as well. Um, it's going to be really interesting. And I think that there's almost, when you talk about Dean Henson's loan move to Forest, there's almost this perception that he's got to go there and do ace. He's still got to prove that himself, that he's he is good enough to be the United goalkeeper. He's always said that he wants to be United's number one. He showed at Sheffield United that he certainly had the potential to do that. But he has effectively just been sat on the bench now for a year. So he needs to go back there and, and prove just how good he really is. Of course, there's the World Cup as well at the end of the calendar year. If he went to Forest and had an exceptional start to the season, and we've seen you know, this week that the World Cup squad would be increased to 26 men, you know, there, there is a chance that Henderson could go there as the third choice for England, which you know might not be the dream for him. He might want to be the number one, but it would still be a, a success for him if he managed to get back into the international selection under Gareth Southgate. So I think it is a real good sort of marriage that Dean Henson's ambitions and Forrest's ambitions seem to be totally aligned, really. A club trying to prove that they're worthy of being in the Premier League and Dean Henson himself trying to prove that he's worthy of not only being a Premier League goalkeeper, but right at the top end of it as well. I think it works great in terms of the timeline as well, in terms of until next summer when that decision has to be made ultimately. It's, it's down to Henson now because you might say, well, next season we get into the same situation. But if Henson goes out on loan to Forest and it isn't a success, then there's a big question to be asked as well about his his credibility as a United candidate going forward. So I think it's a real good incentive for him now. And yeah, ultimately, it's just down to the, the goalkeeper himself to prove that he's got what it takes, really, and, and to start again, which you know might be a bit of regression. But if he can overcome that and almost go there with a point to prove to United and be like, you know, he shouldn't be in this situation anyway. I think it could really bring out the best of him. But United are going to learn a lot about him, not just as a goalkeeper, but about his mentality and his character as well this season. So for me, I think it works perfectly for a party. When I saw that Bruce Samba was obviously not prepared to renew his Forest contracts, I thought straight away Dean Henderson was the suitable option to go in there. In terms of other outgoings, obviously it's a little bit quiet at the minute, but we're, we understand that obviously United want to move a centre-half or two on before they add a, another defender to their ranks. Obviously, Eric Bailly and Phil Jones are the obvious candidates for that. 
Samuel, is there a prospect that their lack of first team opportunities in recent years could obviously struggle to attract United some suitors for them? Definitely. Uh, unfortunately, with Jones, because he started two games in, in the last two years, nearly two and a half years, and only completed 90 minutes once during that time, he is he's a difficult, he's a hard sell. Um, he's out of contract next year as well. And I think it's safe to say that if he is still lingering at United, they won't be triggering the, the extension in that deal. So a lot of clubs of a certain profile, if, if, if they're looking at Phil Jones as a possible squad player or, or player to come in, there's not a there's not a rush to get him in now and he's he's going to be available for free in, in about a year's time anyway. So it might be just better to you know, target someone more suitable and then look at Jones as a possibility next year. So, I mean, last year he was he was unsellable because he was he was injured at the time still. And it's not it's not changed too much this year, really. I, I think that there might have to be some kind of arrangement that's made there. I mean, it's great that he has stayed fit for the best part of the last 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 eight months or whatever it may be he's he's able to prolong his career um but th- there would have to be a, a very very thorough medical uh, conducted in order to, to but by a potential buying club or loaning club to make sure that he was up for it i was, I was told last year during that that hold up with with Varane's move to united and certainly the the announcement united's medical stuff fairness to them, given the, the sit they've had a hell of a lot in the last 10, 15 years, they flagged an issue with, with Varane's knee. And even though he'd already come over to, to England and quarantined, it, it was still not beyond the realms of possibility that that deal could have collapsed because of this knee, I think it was knee surgery he had in 2013, that United hadn't, weren't actually aware of or not done thorough enough due diligence on. But in the end, uh, there were adjustments made to the terms and and Varane was signed and I suppose the irony was that he was quite injury prone last season but I don't think any of, his, of the injuries were related to his knee at all they were there were muscle pulls and whatnot uh, primarily Eric by again uh, you know new contract signed 14 months ago played 13 times for United since that's another hard sell um, United won't rid of him a, a club is not going to be coming in swiftly in June and saying we'll take Eric by off your hands he's a player that already I, I think United will do well to get rid of him um, before before deadline day if they do get rid of him because it's he's already got the makings of a deadline day move. And, I mean, Ten Hag is in an invidious situation in, in a lot of ways because when you go back to that tour Rich and I were on three years ago and we were... It was, it was the Romelu Lukaku tour of Romelu Lukaku not playing. United do not want to be taking these one-to-ways to uh, to Thailand, to Melbourne, to Perth. I think the whole resale value argument just goes out of the window with United because they're so bad at selling players anyway. And also some of them are just, you know, their, their presence is not good for, for the mood in the camp either. I mean, Bay is, has not been... Um, I mean, it's, it's a pretty open secret that he, he resents some of the privileges that Harry Maguire has had. Uh, that's all been written ad, ad nauseum. I don't think he's a player that it's of any benefit for Ten Hag to have him around the squad when United just, you know, they, they, they want rid of him. They want to sell him and he also wants to go as well. So they need to be proactive in trying to get him a move. But it's it's, it's been extremely quiet. Uh, Axel Tuanzebe's situation was described to me as delicate. Um, I mean, because he's had two disastrous loans, again, he's another player that 
that is, is difficult to sell. There isn't going to be a, a taker that's going to come in really quickly. And also United don't want to leave themselves too short as far as centre-backs are concerned. Uh, I know Ted Mengi is also on the books and, and, and another option, but he didn't have a great time at loan, on loan at Birmingham because injury could tell that, that spell. He's going to need another loan next season. I think loaning him to, to another championship club would be would be the sensible move. So normally when you go into a season, you, you do need a minimum five centre-backs. So one of those centre-backs might be reprieved, but United also need to ensure that they get a centre-back in. I, I think a, a possibility, the possible scenario of them starting, or sorry, ending the window with Varane, Maguire, Lindelof, and then, you know, two of Bailly, Jones and Tunzebi as their centre-backs is not a healthy position to be in because you've barely strengthened the strength, the, the spine of a defence that has been the worst defence literally in since 1978-79, as far as United records go. So it would be remiss of them not to make a defensive signing, but it's such a bloated department. Ten Hag could field three different back fours of players who've played for United's first team. So it's it's not a great it's not a great starting point, and that's why they're looking at the attack in the midfield because they can go out and sign sign a player to reinforce those areas without having to sell um, a player because of the the exodus of, of out of contract players. Yeah, and of course, obviously, Rich Julien Timber and Paul Torres have been amongst the leading lights in terms of players that have been linked with United to strengthen that defence. There were some rumours going around the other day that Paul Torres was actually in Manchester, but uh, I believe you've got the answer to that, which might uh, disappoint a few United fans. Yeah, well, yeah, the pictures sort of came through on my day off, and when we got them, the the person in the pictures did look an, an awful lot like uh, Paul Torres, so much so that even when I sent them on to someone who's close to Paul Torres, they said, well, it does look a lot like Pau Torres, but rest assured that it, it wasn't him. He was still in IB for this week for his sort of downtime before preseason starts with Villarreal as well. And yeah, there's there's enough resemblance that you could get fooled by it. But yeah, as things stands, Pau Torres wasn't in Manchester this week. Um, they, they were speaking, what... they, the other context was that these guys who were packed were speaking Spanish as well. So we were we, we were we were determined to know that it wasn't Pau Torres or whether it was Pau Torres. But yeah, the definitive answer is it wasn't, but it did have all the makings. And if not, there's a good doppelganger there. If he wants to earn some, yeah. some extra extra few quid, I'm not sure what the demand is for a Villarreal centre back lookalikey, but you know, there's there's certainly one we can we can pass the details on for. And yeah, again, Pau Torres and Timber are both kind of similar in the they both want to be playing regular football ahead of the World Cup at the end of the year, which, you know, you'll hear for almost every single player who, if you're in contention to be in the World Cup squad, why wouldn't you want to be in it? So it's, you know, it makes sense for any player to have that sort of doubt about a move this summer. And that's, that doesn't necessarily speak negative of United. It's just any move has that jeopardy of you might not go straight into the team, you know, it might not work out straight away. And because of such a short space of time between the season starting, even though it is the start of August, you have only got two months really, because it'll be even a month or so, because it's going to be that first international break where international managers basically choose their World Cup squad. There'll be a little bit of experimenting, but it's not as if the World Cup squads are made in November. You know, you've got a month, maybe. You've got six or seven games to make an impact 
a new signing might not play in the first two or three of them. So then they've only got four games to make an impact. So you can see why anyone who would move this summer would have doubts about it. And that, like I said, isn't just down to United. Uh, I don't think it comes really into the factor for Frankie Jong because he's so good as a footballer. And I know Louis van Gaal seems to have it against out against United, but that would be ludicrous if he was dropped from the squad as well. So... Yeah, I think in terms of the centre-back search, as Samuel said, there's just so much mitigation because you've got to get rid of someone beforehand. And yeah, you've got the priority as well of midfield and maybe attack. So yeah, I wouldn't get too excited on something imminent on that, but things can happen quickly, can't they, in football? You wouldn't rule anything out either way, but like we say, and we say almost every single podcast, midfield's the priority. They also need to get someone else in attack. Again, there's mitigation there because who the hell wants Anthony Marshall? You've got Marcus Rashford's identity identity crisis. You've got the need for a right winger, and you've got so many inverted left wingers that it's still hard to justify maybe signing a new attacker when there's so many of them on the books as well. So it's going to be interesting to see who United do recruit because ultimately that's going to prove just how much they sort of trust Ten Hag as well. You know, Richard Arnold in that pub chat last weekend said that the money's there. He's happy for Murter and Ten Hag to choose the targets to go get them, get whoever they want, and. That will also signify how much trust United have United in the new manager to let him get whoever it is he, he does desire. Yeah, and it's certainly not proven an easy situation to navigate through, is it, for any of these positions? But speaking of Richard Arnold, obviously he met up with David Gill earlier this week, the former United chief executive. Um, seems like United, certainly at the hierarchy level, are really beginning to improve things for the better and are taking the right steps. Obviously, we saw Richard Arnold last weekend meeting with supporters. Samuel, have you got any? special insight into what was held in this discussion between David Gill and Richard Arnold earlier this week? No, I, I'd imagine David Gill's uh, mobile phone was out on the table on this occasion, just just to, just so Richard Arnold could be sure that he wasn't being surreptitiously recorded. But it was it was just the two of them in, in Hale. It, it is certainly a, a departure from how, how Ed Woodward went about his business. That there was not a particularly warm relationship between him and, and David Gill. They would interact in directors' boxes occasionally, but you'd never have ever, uh, you know, been been informed or you know seen a picture of them having lunch together in, in Hale. It wasn't it wasn't a remotely warm relationship. There have been some um, you know, suggestions that it was. It was, it was quite not not fraught as such, but the, there was there was not a lot of not a lot of um, um, yeah. The, the way Gill looked upon it was that maybe that Woodward should have been um, using him as a sounding board more often, but Woodward didn't want to do it that way. Uh, they, they knew each other for a long, long time, but it, there has been a sea change there, even just as far as um, you know Gary Neville's hotel across across the way at Old Trafford. Um, Woodward looked upon that quite in quite a hostile way he, he saw it as like a, a, a tank on United's lawn but now there seems to be a much closer relationship and that's something that Richard Arnold wanted um, to, to repair repairs may be a bit too strong but but Gary Neville was quite incendiary about Ed Woodward during his time as, as executive vice chairman of United so maybe it isn't but there is more communication there even though that hotel is not obviously um, part of part of United it's it's not owned by United it's it's independent from United even though it feels like it is an extension of Old Trafford and and in fairness to Arnold he's he's you know as far as previous you know exec vice chairman or or chief executives are concerned it's it's a pretty low bar I mean David Gill was extremely overrated 
Um, and he has a flattering reputation by virtue of his association with Sir Alex Ferguson, but he, he was as treacherous as it got, really. I mean, he said that he was going to be, um, you know, standing by with with all the supporters against the Glazer family, and then he he jumped in bed with the Glazers once the takeover was was done, and and he was he was the United chief executive for the, the first eight years of, of their ownership. And Woodward did his utmost to be as treacherous as Gill over the Super League last year, but apparently we're supposed to believe that he never believed in it and that his resignation from the ECA was was forced upon him and this, that and the other. So as, as long as Arnold doesn't you know, stoop to any of those uh, lows, he, he should be OK in terms of having a, a decent rapport with, with the supporters. But I suppose from an image perspective, it does reflect well on him that he's, you know, having it, it, the way it could be. I, I don't think that Richard Arnold or the people around Richard Arnold would take umbrage of um, someone saying that he was taking advice from David Gill because in their eyes and in the eyes of a lot of Manchester United fans, that that's a positive because Gill's 10 years as chief executive from 2003 to 2013, how, they're what? five Premier League titles, there was a Champions League final, there were two champion, there were two other Champions League finals, they won the Club World Cup. It was an extremely successful period in the club's history. And he's, you know, rightly or wrongly, he is synonymous with that success. And Sir Alex Ferguson spoke flatteringly about him. So for a lot of United fans, that's that's good enough for them. And Rich, lastly, obviously sticking with Richard Arnold, obviously he had that discussion with those United protesters at a Cheshire pub last weekend. Obviously, it probably wasn't a way that he envisioned meeting with United fans and the way it came about. But just having the audacity and the the um, willingness to sit down and talk to them, that's got to bode well for the fans in the feeling that things are changing for the better at Old Trafford at the start of a new era. Yeah, I think you've just got to you've got to see these figures. I think you know, from that point of view, they want to see them as actual human beings and not these corporate bigwigs who are so out of touch. And I think that there is at least you know some maybe positive sort of thoughts coming to, towards Richard Arnold just because he is different. He does seem to be, like we say, more understanding of, of where United fans are coming from. Obviously, the, he didn't intend for the for the chat to be made public or for those details to be leaked online, but he does at least seem to be able to understand where supporters are coming from and, and appreciate why it is that they are you know so upset. I mean, I'm not sure this uh, Glazer dividend payment is going to do anything to to sort of improve the mood around Old Trafford either. And, you know, that's happening today on the Friday. You know, obviously dividend payments are sort of co- common in, in terms of any publicly listed company, which United are. But, you know, the definition of a dividend payment is to reward investors for putting their money into the venture. And we United a £500 million in debt. Share prices fell to a record low earlier this month. It's just a, a bad luck. And you can see, you know, when Gary Neville speaks out on it as well that there's got to be more attention brought to it from from United fans point of view so there's still so much skepticism I think about United because although they are you know talking the talk and they've had you know they did act brilliantly at times over the the pandemic you know the the gestures they were making and the way that they sort of spearheaded the the community side of that there's still so much concern for United fans about the way the club is being run and I think that even a, a pub chat with the new man in charge is is still you know dropping the ocean really because United fans will still protest and they will still look to get change and significant change at, at the club and the way that it's ran so you know we've said in the past that Arnold as an individual we have to give him a chance and give him a fair 
you know, opportunity to prove he is different, to prove these changes can happen. He was, you know, maybe a safe appointment, but every you know, chief executive and in, in, in that role has been an internal appointment in the last few years. So, you know, you've got to give him that that opportunity. Having those moments and being so open and honest and act, acting like an actual sort of compassionate human being is going to give you some some good with the supporters. But there's still so much for United fans to be cautious about, particularly, like we said, when this dividend payment's going out, £500 million almost in debt. They need to invest in the playing squad. They need to invest in you know, rejuvenating Old Trafford as well. So I think United fans are still very cautious about the direction of the club, even though Arnold has you know come across well. Yeah, it's certainly uh, very early baby steps, isn't it, with that? But it seems like hopefully things are going to move for the better with him at the helm. So we shall see, I'm sure, over the coming weeks how things are going to evolve. But that's all we've got time for today on this Manchester is Red podcast. So stick with us for all the very latest United news ahead of the pre-season preparations getting underway on Monday and then the tour in July. Once again, thank you for listening and please make sure to subscribe and leave a like if you haven't already. Take care and we'll catch you again very, very soon. Bye.